Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now. Welcome to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Hello, my name is Tim McMillan. Welcome to another episode of Inspiring Stories brought to you by Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. I want you to cast your mind back to October of 2002. It was uh, an ordinary time by many people's recollections until... Uh, that fateful day when the innocence of our favourite holiday destination was shattered. Uh, One of the enduring images in the initial aftermath of that tragedy uh, was the face of my next guest. His burnt and swollen face became one of the images that defined that shocking event, the Bali bombings of October 2002. But uh, almost 20 years on, uh, he is here with us to tell his story uh, and to give us an insight into what life has been like since that fateful time. Peter Hughes, hello and welcome. Thanks for your time. Yeah, thanks, Tim. Thanks. It's almost 20 years. How are you? Oh, look, it's uh, it doesn't seem that long ago. Um, I'm going very well. Um, yeah. I think that um, I haven't really thought back too much in the last 20 years of it, obviously, but uh, yet it's coming up and um, I'm in a good place, uh, obviously here in Perth and Got my own building company and, and um, in a bit of fitness now, so yeah, in a bit of health, so everything's kept me busy. The struggles continue, though. I mean, look, I can only imagine <clears throat> what something like that does to you, physically and mentally. But for for you, I mean, is it is it? Are you constantly having to work to keep yourself in a good place? Oh yeah, absolutely. We we you know everyone out of the Bali bombings. I guess most people with trauma tend to hide it pretty well. Mm. Uh, I mask it very well. It's a battle every day. I, I think I've said this many times, and um, you can't sort of um, sort of falsify what's happening inside. So you got to be aware of what the triggers are, I guess. And um, sometimes, that um, if it's if it's happening with me, I tend to take a break. And mm. but uh, most of the time, it's all going quite well. So the twenty-year anniversary is that a trigger for you, or is that a moment where you take stock and go, "I'm still here. I'm grateful." I think that um, I try not to think about it. Sure. I know that it is coming up. Um, it will be a trigger. It's going to be one of those real uh, moments, I guess, in time that, um, and I guess that I, I sort of look at it this way. I, you know, we were two years after 9-11. We're going to be two years into 20 years after 9-11. I could always remember 9-11. I was in Como. I was sitting on my couch and, you know, the images came up on TV and, mm. I thought, how bad's that? And uh, here I am. You know, we're talking about it, and I was in it. So, two years later in Bali. So, yeah, it'll be it'll be um, something I probably won't look forward to, but mm. um, I, I know that um, it'll be something that um, I'll have to face up to. Yeah, it's it's coming either way, isn't 
Oh, I think so. I, I think the whole thing is that I'm very lucky to be here. Uh, there was a lot of people that, that weren't so lucky. Yeah. Um, you know, I could take myself back into that, back to that time of when it happened and, and to see all, you know, all the young people and, mm. you know, all the first responders and people helping and, and stuff like that, and the process and, you know, I'm here and I'm talking about it and, and a lot of people aren't. And, um, it's, it's a process that sometimes it, you feel guilty about, mm. but, um, you know, when you really go back and think about it, uh, I'm probably the luckiest man in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Survivor's guilt. It's a phrase you do hear come up more and more, isn't it? But it, it's a real thing, isn't it? Oh, it's for real. Yeah. Uh, I remember the, the first anniversary in Bali and, um, I remember this couple they were from Forbes and I think it was five rugby players that, um, that, uh, lost their lives in, in Paddy's nightclub and this elderly couple sought me out and they saw me and they asked me some questions about uh, their boy they lost their boy and i said i probably did see him and um and i remember when they when they hugged me they both hugged me as if they were hugging their own boy and i became their conduit mm. to the issue at the time and um geez did i feel guilty i i, I just i just sit down and have a, a very cold bean thing after mm. that and and realising how lucky I was and, and, and how unlucky they were. Do, uh, do you still find life. yourself asking the question, why me? Why did I get out when others didn't? Is that is that still a question that you face Oh no, I uh, at this point? No, not really. I, I, I tend to look at it, what I did. I mm. I put myself in a horrible situation that um, where I could have got up and left and, and uh, I chose not to do that. Yeah. And not knowing much about my injuries at the time and obviously the explosion and, and the radiation coming from the heat and, and, and obviously Paddy's was very timber-like and a lot of thatch roofs and that was pretty much on fire and, you know, we all had choices to get up and leave or in some cases not because people were badly injured but I could reflect back on then and think, well, I could have got up and left and walked away but um, I chose to stay and I... I've yeah. caused myself some issues, obviously. And um, and yet I, I understand you're quite reluctant to accept the tag of hero, but I think oh, at that time you were very much no. uh, the hero uh, in amongst so much tragedy back then. Oh, look, I, I, I don't t take that tag too well at, at all. Um, I often think about the people that were first responders. I, I think about the ones that were killed and the ones badly injured the families that lost loved ones, doctors, nurses, um, everyone back in Australia, even people in Bali um, that were helping out. I, I, and it's just all the expats and and people on holidays that were coming mm. in to help and, and two young blokes that helped me out basically after I got myself in a bit of strife. <laughs> and um, and they're the heroes. Mm. Uh, I, I, was just, I was just doing something that, most human beings would do, yeah, and um, try and help out. It's quite funny talk. It's quite funny talking about because it, it gets you emotional because those sort of things um, were real. Um, you'd never think that you'd be in that position of of strength uh, or even of being vulnerable in, in a sense that, well, what do you do? It's 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 human instinct to yeah. help, and I think that. Um, I reflect on a few people that sort of got up and left and 
I still think that's a good thing because it, you know, the families have got them back, you know, yeah. and, and if they weren't there, they were helping, they were telling people there's a problem. Mm. And so they were doing it in reverse. Yeah. So those sort of things, um, play a big part of my life because, um, 20 years on nearly, it's, it's still, you know, not that I talk about it, um, at all, <laughs> to be honest, only when I'm in a position like this to really think about those, those tags of, uh, doing something special it wasn't special yeah it was just something that people did and and I, I saw things that um that really made me stand up and and think about humanity and, yeah. and and how we live our lives and and how special that we are to have our, our friends and family and and you know in my case you know i was, I was very fortunate that, um my son wasn't there and i was very fortunate that my friends weren't there and and I was very happy to come back to Australia and, and, and know that I could come back home and, and get well and get fixed and, and have all the support of my family and friends and, and people I didn't even know, you know, just mm. sc school children, you know. They suddenly knew who you, you were. You know, they, they were sending gifts and cards and, you know, get well cards. And it's just, it's just, it's just the way it is. And, and I think it, it doesn't matter what happens around the world. We all care about something. And mm. I think Bali back then... You know, really, it's, it, who attacks Australia? Who attacks Australians? Because Australians are, are, in my eyes, above it. We, we tend to really uh, dig deep and, and know how to get above things and, and push harder because we're a small country and, and we make it work for people. And I think back, when I think back to Bali, uh, the things that I saw, I, I saw things that, that were unbelievable. Mm. And I think that sort of... Again, going back to that tag, um, it never feels comfortable with me to be targeted as a hero because that's not the point. And yet in that moment, and, and I'll get you to describe in, in detail uh, shortly the events of that day, but in that moment though, it became such a almost an iconic moment in that tragedy and the coverage of it. Um, you saying like, you know, that you're okay, um, got to help the other people around you would i mean in that moment are you are you conscious of what you're saying and what you're what you're doing because i mean you were in a perilous position yourself um others were just running for their lives literally um people had fallen around you mm. that moment did, did you think well did you ever ever think i'm i'm a goner so i might as well do what i can or did you think i did you know then that you were going to be okay so that you then owed it to those others around you to help them. I kind, of, I kind of wish you never asked me that question, but look, it was only moments before I I, I remember asking somebody that was of um, medical ilk, I guess. Mm. Uh, I sort of said, "Look, how am I going?" And basically, uh, this person said, "You're not going to make it, mate." And I can remember Mark Burroughs from Channel Nine coming up to me and in the cameraman always asking me, "Can I get yep. a grab or something like that?" And I said, yeah, mate, we're going to do something. Let's do it. Let's set it up. And, and I was about to get um, trolleyed out to the airport. Um, and um, I knew I wasn't going to make it. So I thought, and I knew Mark knew, the reporter. Yeah. I, I knew he knew. And I made it up. I actually made that up. Is that right? Yeah. The reason being, my son was in Phuket at the time. And... I didn't want him to think that I wasn't, I was, I was just wanting him to think I was okay. Yeah. 
And, and I remember when I did it, and I can remember I had this carer next to me, Christy Lincoln, um, from Perth, a nurse, an expat at the time, living there. And um, she was waving a fan and we're doing this interview and, and, I, and I remember just just looking at Mark Burroughs crying, you know, doing this interview. It was just bizarre. And when we finished, it was like, oh, well, I think that went well. <laughs> and um, even to the point of um, thinking, well, at least if I don't make it, um, Lee would have got something from me Yeah. in that point. And I think that's the thing. We don't want people to worry about who we are and it's what we're It's still such a selfless act, though, when you are just in the most unbelievably intense and traumatic moment of your life. Yeah, I think that I, I really did mean the fact that we needed to help people. Yeah. We needed to, we really needed to step up because it was, it was a problem. It yeah. was a massive problem. And, and that's something I did mean. But the yeah. fact that I was okay, well, I was just less than 5% chance of making it. Yeah. And, um, you know, we have the best doctors, the best medical, the best nurses. We have the best. We have the best of the best in Australia. Yeah. And I was desperate to get home. I bet if you I hadn't got home, it, it, it would have been no chance. Yeah, and, zero. Um, and I think that's that was sort of playing in my mind a lot. And all I needed to do was get home. Yeah. And um, and then a series of things happened, of course. Mm. We need to take a break, Peter. But after that. Um, Let's go back and, and you can walk us through your recollections uh, from that terrible day in October of 2002. Peter Hughes is our special guest. This is Inspiring Stories. We'll be back with more in a moment. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Bali bombing survivor Peter Hughes is our special guest in this episode. Uh, someone who's taken that tragedy and tried to do something very positive with it by inspiring others uh, to, I suppose, get the most out of the opportunities that they have uh, in this life. Uh, Peter, we'll get to that uh, aspect of your story uh, shortly. But firstly, can we go back to that time in October of 2002 in Bali? What, do you, what are your most vivid recollections of that day and that night? Oh, look, it was just a normal normal day, really. We, I was, um, I was out at, uh, actually, I'm trying to think of the hotel now. <laughs> it seemed so long ago, uh, the Hard Rock Hotel. Yep. And I was with Jason McCartney and Mick Martin that played for North Melbourne and I had a good mate of mine, Gary Nash, there and from Perth and, you know, a lot of people, everyone just enjoying themselves, you know, around the pool during the day and, and you know, late evening. And then normally it was just, we'd always organise to go to the Surrey Club. Um, obviously, Jason and Mick are known for a fair while. And and um, so we arranged to go there. And before we went there, we went to a bar called the, um, a restaurant bar called the Macaroni Bar, which is just up the road from, um, on Leggin Street there. And and up the road from the Surrey Club, and obviously Paddy's across the road. And I could always remember sort of, obviously a lot of sporting people around, you know, the end of footy season. Yeah. And, and a lot of people from Perth, obviously. And, and um, yeah, it was just, just a normal, busy, busy night, hot. 
everyone's in singlets and shorts and thongs and 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 it's quite interesting in Bali. You know, if, if you're out at eleven o'clock, it's not early. No. <laughs> it's, sorry, it's not late. It's quite early. So, um, and I remember we'd sort of finished our meal and and uh, had a couple of drinks at, and and I can remember saying to Jason, I said, "What do you reckon we should do, mate?" And uh, he said, oh, "As usual, we'll just go to the Zara Club." And you know, I can remember um, vividly at that time thinking, "This is going to be a just a good time, a good mm. night out with the guys, you know mm. what I mean? And then as I was sort of walking out of the macaroni bar with the boys, um, I could just see a lot of people around and you'd walk out in the street, it's about a few minutes past 11, whatever it might be at that time. Uh, it's busy, yeah, it's really pleasant. packed. And I remember turning left and seeing the Surrey Club sign, which was only about 50 metres away, and and they had a line. So because it was a line-up, we thought we'd just go and have a couple of quiet beers at... Um, at the paddies till it quietened down. And as we walked into the paddies, everything was quite normal. It was probably half full. Uh, yep. These places can hold four or 500 people easily. And then um, when the boys walked up to a table and we met some girls that we knew, they knew from Melbourne, that um, through their footy club. And um, yeah, it was pretty simple. I, I bought the first, first, first round of drinks and walked up to the bar and ordered my drinks and Noticed a young fellow next to me um, with a backpack sort of on the ground there and and um, an Indonesian fellow. Didn't take much notice, obviously. And then I dropped all the drinks off to the boys. I, I turned around to come back and get my cold bottle of bintang. And then as I, as I went to go back to the bar to pick it up, there was just a click and a bang. Simple as that. And I had a girl that sort of, the lights went out. Um, I wasn't sure what was going on. I had a girl sort of cannon into me pretty quickly and I'd fallen over and it was sort of like a light tap, you mm. know what I'm saying? And I remember standing up and I couldn't see anyone. And, um, and, and I had a girl at my feet. I picked her up and I thought, where, where'd you come from <laughs> type mm. thing? And, and then we just sort of, I didn't, I was trying to work out very quickly what, what had happened. And because the lights had turned, turned out and there was, some embers, I could sort of see a bit of red and fire a bit. I could sort of notice um, things behind the bar, you know, and and because I had this girl with me, I I just we just made a conscious decision to walk out. Yeah. And I can remember when I walked out of the um, the Paddy's nightclub onto the road, it, it was like nothing had happened. I, I, there was still people on the street. There was people driving and walking, and I'm looking back into. Paddy's thinking there's a bit of a problem here. Mm. And I knew there was a problem because I was sort of... Was you'd, sort of you'd seen the backpack go I was down pa- on the ground. I was past, past injured. Yeah. But not knowing anything, but that, that obviously that backpacker was a suicide bomber. So, mm. but you wouldn't have known. It just, just at that point, I was more confused about what was going on. Yeah. And then by the time that happened till the time I walked out, it was so, about... So how badly were you injured from that initial blast? Not, not badly not at all. I wouldn't thought. No, yeah. I didn't think so. I, I was pretty lucid. Mm-hmm. I was, I th- in, in my own mind, I thought I was okay because yep. I was sort of walking. So mm. it was a bit like a hip and shoulder, <laughs> to be honest. Someone sort of uh, had a go at me, basically. But um, and then from that point, it was from the time the little explosion I thought to to the time I got out to the big explosion was um, forty four seconds. So and obviously the car bomb went off and. And I tumbled back into 
uh, Paddy's nightclub, and and then that was it. Yeah. Um, and and it was it was basically a fight for survival after that. But it, it was horrific. It was it was unimaginable. Uh, I I feel like I I'd, I'd been stunned or knocked out for a little while, probably not that long. And then um, then it was making choices after that. It was yeah. it was something that. Even now, trying to go back in there and it's describe it, it was you can't describe people like that. That that are sort of, you know, it's it's like a car crash, but it's 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 like fifty yeah. cars had mm. run into each other, yeah. and, and you've got this mess. And and we were pretty much trying to, I was trying to evaluate it and and trying to get it some sort of make some sense out of it, and um, and, and there was no sense. It was just a matter of surviving. As you think back on it now, I mean, in terms of just the sensory overload that it must have been, is it the, is it the noise? Is it the sight? Is it the smoke? Is it the smell? Like, what's the sort of dominant sensory experience from that time? Oh, we had all the senses. Yeah, um, we've got five of them, and yeah. uh, there was they all worked. Um, I lost my hearing, so mm. they didn't work, uh, which is probably a good thing. But it's only what I saw and what I smell. Um, what I saw with with young people um, that 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 just destroyed me mm. uh, instantly. Um, every time I would look at someone, whether it was a young boy or, or a young man or young girl, it was it was horrible. It was because um, um, you, you you know you, you sort of. You don't want to put yourself in that position to be there and, and try and do anything, but you know when you when there's not so much cries for help, it was just not knowing what to do, and 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 it was hard to watch. Yeah, uh, even hard to watch me. You know, like I had a really bad, badly injured left calf. Uh, I knew that. I my hair was smouldering. You know, mm. because of the fire, and obviously we're taking our clothes off because of the heat and. Um, but the, it was it was the heat, it was the smell, the smell of human flesh was horrible. It's it was, like nothing else. Uh, there's nothing. I, I I can't even imagine, even now thinking about it, how bad it was back then. But um, but the other thing of the whole thing was was the what we were all doing to survive and and, and help people, yeah. even though we knew we were stuffed. Yeah. And um, were you and, still worried about a another explosion happening at that point? Or is that had no is that idea? Not sort of had no idea. Didn't know. We, I didn't know it was a suicide bomber. I thought it was just a gas bottle. Yep. When I was out the front, I thought it was a gas main. <laughs> no idea about a bomb. I, no one had. A, no one knew. Mm. No one knew. I was never told. Yeah. Uh, even many hours later, wasn't told. Not until the reporters started. Yeah. Telling us, um, and it still didn't make sense. Yeah. You know, because when I when I came out of the um, Paddy's nightclub for the second time. The first time I came out, I walked out and there was a door. Second time I came out, it was, it was the, the wall was completely flattened. So I, I sort of walked out in the streets or staggered out in the streets mm. and to a mess, you know. And, um, and by the time I actually got out the second time, Paddy's was just about collapsing. Yeah. Um, and as you think back to it now, are there, are there still details that are coming back to you or, or is your your 
recollection of that time fairly well formed and, and set in stone now? Or did you still reflect back and go, oh, yeah, that's right, that happened? Or, oh, yeah, I'd forgotten about that bit. Oh, you know, there's, there's still gaps. It's Yeah. There's still gaps. Um, yeah, they, they they get filled every now and again um, yeah. when I really think about it. I get reminded about things. That, yeah. And then, I, yeah, okay, I remember that. When were you fully cognizant of just what, sort of injuries you'd suffered and what sort of position you're in, what your predicament was, when were you sort of able to go, all right, this is what's happened. Yeah. I, this, uh, is, this is what's happened to me. Well, we walked up Poppy's Lane there and and I, I went to the, um, or staggered up Poppy's Lane with all these young people. And I went to the Bounty Hotel, which is just up the road. Normally it's just a casual five minute walk. Mm. It took us about half an hour. For the first time, we I, I could I could actually sit on the steps and um, of of the hotel and at the foyer, and it was just a mess. It was like it was like watching a war movie, you know, Private Ryan that sort of stuff. And I can remember sitting down and the lights are on and and I just had one good look at myself. I went, "You are joking me. You cannot be here. <laughs> it cannot be you." And um, just just to see my left leg just absolutely shattered and. And my arms just burnt. I, like, mm. I couldn't believe it. And, and, and the weird thing about it, I, I, I could just see a mirror. I could see, I could just see my head and, and my hair. And my hair was smouldering. And I just thought that was so funny. You know, I just thought, what the hell? Mm. And for a moment there, I, I, I just had this silly thing in my head about you cut yourself in Bali and, and you just die from infection. Oh, here I am, from burnt from head to toe, and shrapnel wounds and cut cut everywhere and and i thought well it's 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 over no chance absolutely no chance well, thank goodness you made it back to mm. australia and got some first class care i want mm. to ask you about your special relationship with uh, dr fiona wood mm. right after we take a break peter this is inspiring stories peter hughes is our special guest back with more in a moment you're listening to inspiring stories for bower and o'day don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything Inspiring stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Bali bombing survivor Peter Hughes is our special guest. Uh, Peter, after the horrific injuries that you suffered, uh, it was still a miracle that you got out of there, got the treatment that you needed, and you're alive to tell the story today. You're in a month long coma. You, you effectively died three times along the way. Mm. Um, what an extraordinary journey! But can you just give us a a picture of the 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 travels that you then had to endure to even just get back to Perth? I think that um, so I went out to um, Shangri-La Hospital in Denpasar. We pretty much all, a lot of us got assessed out there. Yeah, uh, it was mayhem. Uh, you didn't yep. know who was a doctor, who wasn't. Yeah, you just had no idea. Uh, you just took that on trust. Um, I know. Uh, it was a situation there, obviously with burns, you've you got to be incubated and all that sort of stuff to save your organs. And, you know, and I refused. And I can remember um, uh, one of these expats all from Victoria, actually, was living in the Bali. He was a doctor and he said, Peter, you're going to have to, you're gonna, we're going to have to put you under. He says, no, you're not, mate. <laughs> so he didn't. And um, anyway, I, I, I remember going out to um, the airport, you know, and... Um, out there and all it was quite an emotional moment for me because um, you could see the RAF um, 
plane out there and and uh, and you see all the uh, def Australian defence personnel they're in the um, you know, sort of on the tarmac there and all the hangars and whatnot and, and we're all on stretches and and then I remember I, I got properly assessed by a um, uh, army doctor basically medical person and um, and he he assessed my injuries and and he basically said, "Mum, I'm going to have to cut your arms and legs because uh, I blew up like a balloon." And yeah, and I begged him not to. Um, but as soon as he'd done that, I couldn't move. Mm. All I could move was my head. And I can remember going on one of those Hercules planes, and 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 that was it. That was sort of what could you do? <laughs> and um, and when you can only move your head, um, you can't do much. And um, you know, I can remember saying. You know, as we we're about to take off out of um, out of Denpasar, and a Garuda plane rocks up, and and I, all I could think about was, I'm never going to complain about Garuda again, <laughs> type thing, obviously. And um, and I got to Darwin, and and when I when when we got to Darwin, obviously got assessed again, and and then I was basically told by a, a doctor uh, from Adelaide at the time. He said, "Mate, we're going to." Um, he asked where I was from. I said, oh, "From Perth," and he says. And he says, um, how old are you? And the age and all that sort of stuff. And I said, what are you doing, mate? And he goes, look, we're going to have to send you to Adelaide. And I said, no, you can't do that, mate. <laughs> you can't do that. I says, why are you sending me to Adelaide? Because they don't die in Adelaide. I said, well, ah, well, just send me to Adelaide. Send me to Adelaide. And that's what happened. I, I got treated in Darwin. Um, I apparently died three or four times on the table. And, um, and then I got flown down to... Adelaide and, and in Adelaide I, I spent two and a half weeks in a coma there. Uh, I got incredibly well looked after. Um, I became their, their person I guess and after a couple of weeks and I started to recover a little bit and I, I said to the staff there at the time that I wanted to go home and I need to go back to Perth and they didn't want to do that mm. and then once I got fully assessed um, they said you can go home and we you know 53% burns. I had, um, a lot of bad shrapnel through my body and and um and I'd really those serious burns that really need to be looked after and and I'd heard a lot about this doctor in Perth uh, obviously um Dr Fiona Wood and and to be honest I was looking forward to coming to Perth um because of her and when I actually got to Perth and got relaxed in my bed and and Fiona came in the next morning. All I wanted to do was go back to Adelaide. I thought <laughs> she was just a witch, <laughs> and 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 she sort of um, too much tough love for you at that point. I was. <laughs> I, Fiona was incredible. She she really, you know, you, you can sit and whinge and carry on in, in in hospital, but Fiona's trademark is to get you up and moving, and and, and that's what she did. And uh, it was a bit of tough love and. She um, made me work hard and, and made me get out of hospital and, you know, take those steps and, and um, you know, her focus was to, to make sure that um, every patient that she had had the best care. Yeah. Are you a religious or, or spiritual person, Peter, if you don't mind me asking? Oh, no, absolutely not. No? No. I'm, you didn't I'm not sort of look for answers sort of, you know beyond this physical realm here at all well, when you're trying to just reconcile everything that's happened to you i, I remember having questions about you know what, what, what did you see when when you passed away and stuff yeah. like that on the table and all i saw was my ex-wife and my ex-girlfriends and i just thought i've got to come back there because that's crap yeah um 
to answer that, but um, no, absolutely not. I, sometimes people say that things happen for a reason. Well, they didn't. <laughs> I don't think I really wanted to be badly injured and, and, and be a part of that process, but um, but I can understand why people are, mm. and um, it does generally help people, yeah. and I think that's a good thing. Just before we get on to the things that you've been doing in the years since, um, can we go back to the, the Peter Hughes pre Bali? Um, who, who was that guy? And do you feel a disconnect at all from the Peter Hughes that was living his, you know, fairly ordinary life in ordinary Perth, going to ordinary Bali on an ordinary holiday up until October 2002? Who, who is that guy? I think Peter, I, I think Peter was just a genuine person that, that lived his own life. Um, he had a good mate and a son, you know, that was 20 at the time. And, and I, I was just your average bloke. Mm. I had a, had a small business. I I got married quite young and I was very fortunate to have a son that, you know, that, that grew up with me and, and, and I played sport. I played per footy club and stuff like that. I loved all that sort of stuff. Yeah. I loved also going out and having a drink with my mates and, and, uh, being a part of that process too. But I enjoyed life, uh, at the age of 42 and, and even afterwards that happened, um, it's been the same, but Peter before Bali, still Peter the same afterwards. Yeah, I just had to deal with stuff that probably that 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 sort of made me have to deal with it. But my upbringing and stuff that I believe that toughened me up a bit from where I was I sort yeah. of grew up with sort of helped me through that process when all this happened. So yeah, and I drew a, a lot on that. Yeah, uh, we need to take a, another break, Peter. After that, I want to ask you what it was like having to give evidence once the authorities had had tracked down the the perpetrators of that uh, atrocity, what it was like having to be part of that prosecution of those uh, individuals. This is Inspiring Stories. Peter Hughes is our special guest. Back with more after this. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Peter Hughes is our special guest. Uh, Peter, your recollections of what took place in Kuta back in October of 2002 were such that uh, you became a valuable part of the prosecution uh, when the authorities in Indonesia managed to track down those who uh, orchestrated uh, the terrible attacks there. What was that like, having to go back to Bali to to give evidence against these people? Oh, it was was horrific. Um... I, I, the magnitude of it all was incredible. You know, you've got Westerners in a in a Muslim courtroom that's never happened before, and we were the first ever. Yeah. And um, and to be presented, you know, in a way that as an individual that sort of you know have a prosecutor and you have the magistrate and all that sort of stuff, and and then you got people with machine guns and all sorts of things um, going on around you. It was, it was, it was, it was full on. Mm. I, I, something I'd never experienced in my life. But um, you know, you're presented with Amrosi that was, you know, not really the mastermind. He, mm. he was sort of the guy that sort of planted the bombs and the smiling assassin, though, wasn't he? he was pretty often much described yeah. as he had this yeah, but it was kind a, of grin on his face. Yeah, it, it was interesting because I remember when I was presented to the. And we had an interpreter, and I was sitting in that chair. That, and um, you know, you sort of you're looking at a person. You, you're not sure what you're looking at, and all of a sudden, it's just like a boy. It just looks like a mm. young boy. 
and um, which really surprised me. And yeah. he wasn't. They weren't. He wasn't happy to see us. You know, <laughs> like, I, I mean, Imagine. like, and it was a bit, a little bit frustrating because I was sort of sitting there a couple of meters away, and and it was like I could just grab him right now and have a crack at him type mm. thing. But I had to sort of reflect a bit because I was there to do a job, and but the problem I had was not only trying to talk to express to the to the judges how I was feeling in terms of the questions they were asking but I was also fully aware my son was sitting in the courtroom behind me and it really struck me how I was thinking well if I don't like that guy much I don't think my son's going to appreciate him much either and it really became a problem for me because I was aware of my you know if someone attacks your parents or your, your family and and you know that person's right in front of you. It's, it's a real difficult mm. thing to actually get through. So I was fully aware of that circumstance, but um, but it was like a circus. It was just something that um, I, I I wouldn't want to experience again in my life because yeah. it, it helped. I think it helped from us from a point of view of, of expressing um, the question. So how are you feeling? Type stuff, and and then you just say it as you feel it. Yeah. You know, it was, it was just, um, a moment in time that, um, and in history that will probably go now. In the years since you've given countless talks to people, all sorts of groups around the country telling your story, you know, similar to, to what we're doing here. Um, what is that like for you having to kind of relive it over and over? Uh, if, if, if I know I'm going to do it, I think it, the, yeah, I think I might have said earlier that that it's very cathartic in terms of sometimes you need to talk about it and and in, in moments that probably people want to hear, uh, they want to hear the story and and sometimes it's always good to talk about it because it's something I don't do very often at all. I don't do it around my family. I don't do it around my friends. I don't do it when I'm when I'm out. And if someone comes and asks me something, I'll tell them. I'll tell them. Yeah. And um, and that's very rare these days which is which is a good thing but um yeah it's 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 a good thing but so it's something also i think about if i don't do it often enough it can actually play play back on on you yeah Yeah. can what do people take away from it obviously an appreciation for what you've been through but what what's the overarching message that you want people to take away from your talk i think the the it's a as, bu- as much as barley could have been a negative, it could also be a positive. The negative is obviously the fact that we lost loved ones and, and, and people got badly injured and there's family members that are still suffering even t- today, basically. But the positive is is out of it is that we're still here. You know, we fought hard. Um, we did things that um, everyone should be proud of. Mm. And, 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 you know, there was 21 countries involved in, in the Bali bombings. That lost loved ones and such, and um, and I think that as a collective, um, and, and this is including Indonesian people and the Indonesian government, it really helped. I think overall, it, it was just a a, a a good sense of humanity in terms of how people got together from all parts of the world to make sure uh, that we're all looked after. And I think that um, it was groundbreaking. It was great. It was it was a good thing from that point of view, yeah. and, and it was also things that we've learnt, mm. you know. And, and what happened in Bali is we've learnt things, you know, whether it's something to do with burns or when something to do how we get people out of countries and and there's political and, and all that sort of stuff going on behind the scenes. 
I think that's that's something that um, you know they'll learn from. Yeah. So as a bad thing, it'll be something they can learn from next time. Hopefully, there's no next time. By the way. Yeah, absolutely. You, you've said previously that uh, that that tragedy has has ultimately made you a better person. You yeah. still you still stand by that. I mean, uh, a different person, but a, yeah, yeah, a, a no, better person. Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah. I think that um, sometimes it was a wake up call for me, but. Um, it's a hell of a wake-up call. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's not something I want people to go through to, to get to that point. But, um, oh, yeah, 100%. I, I think that sometimes that um, we put ourselves under pressure. Um, you know, I've got a building company in Perth, and sometimes I'll have a client that gets angry, and I think it's great because it makes me feel normal. Mm. You know, because things like that aren't, if there's a problem, it's, it's not life-threatening. Mm. If they want to hear about life-threatening stuff, just ask me about it, I'll tell you. But when it comes to being normal, that's 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 how we live our life. Yeah, you know, generally. So, so overall, I think um, the experiences of Bali, even so tragic, uh, I think there's a lot of a lot of positives out of it. One of the other positives I think that you've been such a big part of is uh, fighting for compensation uh, from the Australian government for mm. victims of these mm. sorts of incidents on foreign soil. Yeah. How much of a win was that for you? Oh, big. We we medically. I remember having a conversation with John Howard and he said, what do you want, Pete? What does everyone want? I said, just look after us medically so we don't have to pay for anything medically. And when we had a thing with compensation and, and Tony Abbott was a part, was Prime Minister at the time, he, he said, what do you reckon for compensation? I said, well, we'd like some, you know, and, and I think everyone got $75,000, I think. Mm. Uh, a lost a loved one or someone badly injured. And yep. So that was a good thing because most of the people that were injured um, or, or lost their lives were young. Yeah. You know, so, and and the government stood up. Yeah. And I thought that was an incredible thing. So, another good thing to very come from it. it. Very proud of it. Peter, we're out of time, but it's it's been an intense hour. I mm. appreciate you coming in and sharing what's been an, an unbelievable story. And I hope that the 20 year anniversary that's not too far away. Mm. Uh, is a time where you can reflect and, and feel grateful and not too traumatised uh, by the anniversary on the calendar. So thank you again for coming in and sharing your story. Cheers, Jim. You've been listening to Inspiring Stories here on 882 6PR. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. We look forward to you joining us again next time as we unearth another inspiring story. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Stuff for your face and body? It's men's skincare with a purpose. Top quality Aussie-made grooming and skincare to help guys look and feel great with no hassles. Plus, Stuff is helping mental health too. Find Stuff at Woolworths or visit websiteofstuff.com.